0: With AWB Contract Templates. These metaphors
1: didn't really describe what I was doing on a day to day basis or what my motivation was in any really useful way because I found that business was much more collaborative and much more open ended as it's really practiced than it is in sports.
2: it out of the park crush the competition in 2017 I made the decision to become a physique athlete it wasn't until then that I began to question the usage of sports metaphors in the world of business I began to ask myself the question is inserting the competitive language of sports into the world of business helpful or harmful You're listening to Flaunt Your Fire, the branding and visibility podcast where we own our values as we amplify our influence. I am your host, India Jackson, and in today's episode, we're going to be digging into exactly this topic of looking at the competitive nature in the business world. We're going to be talking about how social media has sparked an atmosphere of competition, how the body interprets competition, how the body reacts to cues that someone is competing with you. We're going to be looking at healthy competition versus unhealthy competition. Which one are you engaging in? And looking at using competition as a tool for building relationships. We're also going to be exploring competitiveness as fuel for showing up and being visible. And we're going to explore what metagaming is and how you can utilize that to increase the joy within your brand. And I'm being joined by someone who has done extensive research in the role that competition plays in our lives and in our businesses. So today's guest I am so excited to have. Let me tell you all about Kim Perkins. Kim holds a PhD in positive organizational psychology. A former journalist and professional athlete, Kim has worked with leaders at cutting-edge tech and entertainment companies. Her first book, Winner Take None, is all about the role that competition plays in our lives, and it'll be out in December. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Kim, and welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be on this podcast. Uh, And there's just, that's your bio, but I, a lot like uh, Erica, like to have you kind of tell me a little bit about just who you are and how you landed into this type of work.
1: Well, you know, this is, psychology is my third career, so... um, It's been a long and weird journey. I started out as a writer, and I started out as kind of a cultural writer. So I wrote about music when I was a teenager in newspapers. (laughs) And um, then I moved into magazine editing from there. And then I discovered that I had this weird talent for speed skating, which I was really not expecting, but I was super into it. I got super into it as an adult. And so I stopped my magazine career and went to be a professional speed skater for Uh, a few years. I I got to travel all over the world and race all over the world. It was wonderful. But then I didn't really want to come back to magazines because that was getting over. And so I uh, went to school for um, organizational psychology because I thought that Kind of work, A lot of the same things I was doing in sports coaching, where you're working with individuals on what they're doing and on group dynamics as a whole and special interest on what the leaders of the group are doing, because that affects everybody, uh, would be would kind of be how it is in organizations. And that is, has turned out to be true. And so now I've been working with uh, leading companies in those fields and other fields as well. And it's been really fun.
2: Uh, I love it. And uh, a lot of my listeners know, but uh, what we share in common is definitely being in the sports and athlete type industry um, and having those reference points. Also, like professional speed skating, like I find that so impressive. For me, I literally just got roller, blade, uh, roller skates, actually. <gasps> yeah. So not even inline ones. <laughs> oh, but roller skates, that's wonderful fun. Wonderful fun. Oh, uh, and I'm like, I'm like a, a couple months into using like a really high quality pair, and I still have not figured out even how to go backwards. So much props to you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we can talk offline about that.
2: I'm <laughs> It can get you going backwards. It'll be a whole new world. Oh, my goodness. So one of the things that I've always found interesting um, coming from, you know, the world of being in sports and ath- being an athlete and things like that, and then also being in business, Is that there's a lot of overlap in the terminology and metaphors and things like that that people are using, and I know that's something that um, has just shown up for me a lot. And I'm wondering, like, where do you see the overlaps there, or why do you feel like there is so much overlap?
1: You know, it's such an interesting question. There's, and it's true. Wherever people are talking about business, they're using sports metaphors for it. So it's about um, you know winning and making the point or taking the L or or uh, war metaphors. And I was really interested in this, in uh, especially in grad school, because I'd come from a sports background, and people in business liked the idea of my sports background. And yet I found that these metaphors didn't really describe what I was doing on a day-to-day basis or what my motivation was in any really useful way, because I found that business was much more collaborative and much more open-ended as it's really practiced than it is in sports. You know, in sports, you have a very, you have a limited time and you have very clear objectives and you have very clear roles and um, the competitive mindset that makes that really fun where you can get all fired up in that period of time. It's just not something that you can do in the 24 seven nature of entrepreneurship you have to um, in fact take a really different kind of attitude toward it in order to make it work I found and I found that really really fascinating and so that's that's what my book Winner take None really digs into is how these metaphors are everywhere about uh, you know hierarchies and who's on top and it's you know it makes for a fun juicy story and it, it brings out a certain, it well, you know, bodily reaction, I think would be the best way to put it from us, which some people really enjoy and some people really dislike and uh it's not really something that we can keep up the way businesses run these days,
2: yeah, I mean, you said bodily reaction, and I'm wondering if you could dig into that a little bit more about like how the body interprets this energy of competition
1: yeah it's it's really interesting so the Basically what people I found in researching this book really either love competition and are very motivated by it or kind of hate it or and don't really want that much to do with it. And the that seems to be a pretty st- standard reaction in that you don't really change a whole lot. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, and it really depends on a whole network of associations you have with it. So I use the example in my book of, I have a friend named Katie, who is, um, a, she's a epidemiologist, but she's also a really serious pickup basketball player. And so she shows up at pickup basketball games in Chicago. And um, her favorite thing is she loves to trash talk. <laughs> so she'll get the ball and she'll look you in the eye and she'll kind of assess you and start looking for little places to poke at what you're doing as she's trying to, you know, guard you and, and work against you. And so imagine you're that person and here's Katie starting to starting to pick away at you verbally while she's bouncing the ball. Right. And um, some people will interpret that as, oh, no, she's probably really good this isn't going to happen really well for me. I'm really nervous and will find it distracting. And because they're distracted, they won't, she will get a very slight edge on them at certain points in time so that she will get, uh, be able to be a little faster than them or see what they're doing a little bit before she, they see what she's doing. And just these little things will put you off your game and then they'll sort of turn into a bigger thing. And pretty soon, Katie's got you and there's nothing you can really do about it.
2: And yeah, that, I mean she's getting in their head a little bit. She's getting <laughs> in your head and it turned
1: and that slight distraction and that slight annoyance value of her being like a little mosquito is actually ter- translates into worse play. But then there's other people who associate that with part of the fun rather than a distraction to them it is part of the game. And so other people will uh, she'll start trash talking them and she'll say, they'll say ooh this is going to be good. This is going to require a little extra from me. This is a little challenge. She's really serious about this. This is my opportunity to also get serious about this and focus up more. And then her trash talking will bring them into the game more and they'll feel more centered and more able to give their best because she's indicating that she's serious about this and this is for all the marbles and then during that time you're in both of these situations your um, your cortisol starts to flow and it's like a threat situation and it's really your your network of interpretations, your past experience and you know traumas and also, good times that you've had, because maybe, you know, if you're in the latter category, maybe you get to play basketball at the family picnic, but nobody really wants to go too hard. So you have to tone it down. And it's kind of like, to make sure I don't take this too seriously. And, (laughs) um, And so either experience will, the trash talking will either allow you to play harder and have an even better time and be in more immersed in it, or it will take you out of the game and make you play worse and have a worse time. And either way, it's still kind of a trauma response, but it's very personal which one this is.
2: Mm, I never thought about it that way, but I've definitely been racking my brain around something that I feel like might be a little similar as to like, you know, how people can have a stimulus and for some people, something happening in the world or on social media or whatever it may be can upset them very much. and. For one person, it can completely like ignite their fire and make them say, I'm going to go do something about this. And another, it can literally make them shut down. That is exactly right.
1: Sure. I, <laughs> I said that there's a, there's a famous line in psychology about how no, it's not possible to predict how any given individual will interpret the same experience.
2: Mm, that's powerful. And yeah, I mean, I... Thank you so much for even like laying out how those experiences can be so different. And I feel like I see it playing out, um, especially in an area that is super relevant to a lot of my listeners on social media, because um, I feel like for some, it has like sparked this atmosphere of feeling like they're constantly competing for attention or likes or business or whatever that may be and i'm just wondering like how do you feel about that do you feel like social media has sparked an atmosphere of competition
1: Oh, absolutely. And it's kind of a cold war rather than a hot war. <laughs> you know because the hot wars can at least be fun. you can jump in there and you can you can have a, a really immersed experience when mm. you and that's like when you have, when there's a time period and a clear goal. but the thing with with competition on social media is that there's the goal is kind of abstract and it doesn't end and that is, those are the things that make it a tense situation instead of a juicy one a lot of the time.
2: When you said that, my body instantly felt oppression. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, it yes. doesn't end. It doesn't <sighs> end because, you know, that that's sort of the beauty of the game.
1: And at some point the buzzer rings and we're done with this. And then you can relax and be vulnerable and think about other things. And you don't have to be in a, in a state of readiness. But on social media, it doesn't. And that is that just like is in business. It doesn't. And so that's one of the reasons looking at that way um, is less motivating rather than more motivating and less and can tend to lead you astray. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, I mean, we all, we all enjoy, you know, whether we admit it or not, we all enjoy flexing on people, you know,
2: (laughs) hey, I I did professional bodybuilding as an athlete, so (laughs) I'm there with you on that one. (laughs) love the fun. <laughs> Look
1: at this amazing <laughs> cat picture that I put up here. This is incredible, you know. I mean, and there's so many different ways to to demonstrate that that your um you know what you've got going on and it's when we're trying to demonstrate our identity is where we find that competition gets more toxic as opposed to the Less toxic, more positive kind. When we are trying to measure ourselves against others to check out our own progress.
2: Yeah, uh, I I think about that, and I you said it so well that I do think that there are some pieces of people's identity that's wrapped up in their their social presence, um, and for some that's very toxic. I. Would love if you could kind of lay out for the listeners um, how you would describe or assess what is healthy competition versus unhealthy competition.
1: I'm so glad you asked that. So healthy competition, I really believe that competi- some people believe that competition is never healthy. And I, I don't agree with that because it has that, as you pointed out, that a element of establishing your identity and testing your boundaries and seeing what you can do. And for people who are are athletes, you know, the joy of coming up against a physical boundary and then overcoming it and, you know, and that expansion that happens afterwards. But, you know, that's not going to be always. And um, generally also, you know, athletes know that you tend to lose more than you win, (laughs) (laughs) Yes, (laughs) and so if your identity is really based around winning all the time, that's going to make it very toxic for you. It's going to be very toxic inside your head. So, what I usually say about healthy competition is everybody has consented to be in it because it affects your, um, because you're and you're agreeing in some way to have the outcomes of what of the competition affect your identity for better or worse. So really um, consent to play the game is a really important part of it because if you're forced to play the game, you're never going to feel like you're winning even if you are. So um, that, that to me is really, really important uh, when we're thinking about winning attitudes and it's um, and the other part is that to remember that most of the world is based on cooperation and Uh, community. And that competition is just this tiny, tiny little peak on the iceberg that is very visible because it makes for a good story. So a lot of our news stories are this versus that. And here's something you didn't know. And let's tear down somebody who's on top and things like that, because it's interesting. It grabs our attention. But that's not really how the world works. The world is a much more cooperative place. You know, to get two teams to the Super Bowl, that takes a ton of cooperation from millions of people in real life in order for two teams to pretend they're enemies for 45 minutes.
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And wow, there's so much to what you just said because I can see like threads and through lines and implications of that in the workplace of that in collaborative partnerships. If you're uh, a content creator and you have sponsors or affiliate partners there's just so much there of, you know, how can you, A, consent and and B, decide to be collaborative about that?
1: Yeah. And it's really just where you're focusing. So sometimes the healthy competition, if you have a goal of like, I'm going to get to as many followers, for example, as this other person, then they don't need to necessarily know about that. A lot of competition when it gets more toxic is, that we are trying to sabotage the other person so that we can get ahead of them. And of course, that's usually pretty toxic. Of course, in a in a consensual game, people o- allow that that might be part of the game. <laughs> but yeah. if you're not consenting, then that's just clearly toxic and people trying to take you down. And so that to me is why consent is so important in this and why people go wrong in workplaces, trying to pity people against each other and make a sales contest, for example. And that can often encourage behaviors that are not great, but that a person might have to, to have that winning attitude, feel like, oh, it's all just part of the game, but is it really? And do we have to do that?
2: Mm. When you said that, it really made me wonder, like, are there examples where we can use competition as a way to build relationships in a healthy way with other people?
1: Yes. Actually, online gaming seems to be pretty healthy for a lot of people. And a lot of teams are adopting that as a team building exercise when they're remote. And it's not always a winning lose kind of game, but um, a let's play together and use our strengths kind of game that helps people bond as remote teammates. Mm -hmm. So rather than divide. So example, if you wanted to use this and you have, say you have a remote team and you want to have them do something fun together, you could have them bring them into an online gaming situation as a team, helping each other out, not playing against each other.
2: I love that. I think that that has an opportunity to also insert some fun, which many people need right
1: now. (laughs) Oh, we need all the fun we can get, especially right now, the world's a happy place. But it's, you know, it's, it's interesting how, um, some studies have shown that the part of gaming that is is really positive and builds teaming is how is learning more about how other people's minds work and so gaming can be fantastic about that because then you can you can see how people are operating in this other play environment and then that gives you some more information about how they operate in a work environment that is more toward building The whole team so that everybody's using their strengths more, which is generally what makes for a happier and more productive team.
2: Makes complete sense. It also makes me think about like (laughs) when you're thinking of kind of adding this competition, it takes me back to, um, for example, witnessing um, both myself and my own community and others kind of allowing um, affiliate partners who technically are competing with each other, right? You're you're trying to get someone to sign up for the same program or buy the same product and happen to use your link instead of someone else's and doing that in a way where there's a collective prize instead of an individual prize. So like if everyone combined all the affiliates or all the partners or all of the, the ambassadors or sponsored athletes or whatever that may be, Um, can hit this collective goal instead of just, if you get this, you get this reward.
1: I love that idea. Yes, collect it. That's that's another way that people are are using competition and work settings. And I think that's a brilliant idea for how to do it with uh, your affiliates.
2: One alternative to competing is supporting. And brand partnerships are a beautiful way to increase your visibility, profit, and support the types of brands that you would like to see be in business for many years to come. This month in Pause and the Play the Community, we are discussing voting with your dollars. And we're gonna be sharing some of our favorite brands that you can support via your purchases, as well as being able to partner with. Many of these brands enjoy partnering with loving, real, and value-driven humans just like you. And we're going to be sharing everything that you need to know about these brands so that you can look forward to deciding who you would like to partner with going forward. You can learn more about this and sign up for the community for just under $100 for this deep dive, as well as get access to all of our prior trainings, education, and material by visiting pauseontheplay.com slash community. Now back to the show. Do you feel like competitiveness can be used as a fuel for helping people to show up and be more visible?
1: For some people, and I'd say the, the really the, the question is how clear is the goal and how good are people at getting the goal? So if, if you're still learning, you don't really want to compete. You're, while you're still learning something, you, you need to be developing your skills and you need to have a certain vulnerability about it. Once people are really confident about their skills and, uh, and have pretty clear relationships on the team, then they can probably compete more without damage but a lot of times people will will like for example make a sales con contest among internal salespeople and if everybody's pretty good salesperson and we know exactly what the goals are nobody's like a learner that probably could work okay because um the numbers are clear and people know what the what the deal is and they know what's inbounds and not inbounds if you have a new team beginning out you've got a really big prize uh, not everybody knows what they're doing. We're not all sure what the rules are. This is a time when you definitely don't want to do a sales contest because mm-hmm, this is yeah. when people will start taking shortcuts because that's that's definitely something that happens, especially in pursuit of short-term goals. Um, start making ethical breaches, play against each other instead of with each other. So uh, there, there are definitely times when it works, but it, it has to be when people are ready for a little showing off as opposed to learning the ropes or making the rules.
2: That's an important context to add. So thank you so much for clarifying that because <laughs> I can see where like, yes, people may be doing the competitive piece a little too early.
1: And you know, it's tough management teams tend to be more competitive places than on the front lines. And I discovered this while I was working on this topic for my dissertation was that um, nobody who was in a position who had time to answer my surveys actually enjoyed competitiveness at work because the people who really enjoyed it tend to, tended to end up fairly high in the company. And so, for example, you know when I work with a team of senior vice presidents, that's a place where there's a lot of Positioning and angling and gamesmanship, but the frontline workers are not doing that. They're just trying to survive. And so enforcing some mm-hmm. competition on them is really toxic and unfair, even though it might be something that the senior vice presidents are used to and somehow think is good. Because, you know, a lot of times also with tr- stuff that causes trauma or that is a result of trauma, if we've been through it, we think. And, you know, it 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 made my character, so it's going to make your character too. And that is so not how it works.
2: Oh, yeah, that's powerful. Because we're all so different from each other.
1: We're all so different from each other. And people forget that uh, context really matters, you know. if If you're just trying to survive, and I put you in a competitive situation, you may see this as a war and not a game. Mm. And that is... That's when a lot of really bad things happen for both individual humans and for organizations
2: well, and it's also right your body's in that war mode yeah. already because you're in survival
1: exactly, exactly, and that's why I say it's not that competition can never be healthy, it's that most of the time when people have a an want to th- add it in there, it's not, and they should really take a step back and think about it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: All right, so if I'm someone who's listening and you piqued my interest, I'm super curious. Um, how would I be able to tell if someone is competing with me? Like, what might be some signs of that?
1: Well, interpersonally, okay. So it's it's sometimes different for men and women, and I'm making i i I'm, I'm definitely saying more masculine identified versus fem- feminine identified people because it's not your um, it's not a, a physical. Gender or whatever gender assigned at birth, kind of thing. So, right. Um, you know, I'm a fairly masculine identified w- woman, and so my perfectionist perfectionism comes out more as competition than perfectionism. Same. <laughs> <laughs> so, you can tell if somebody's competing with you, usually, um, with male identified people, there will be a lot of, um, can we say dick measuring contests just kind of <laughs> happening? <laughs> I love it. (laughs) This happened to me. I went to a lovely and fantastic retreat a couple – about a month ago where um, the guy who was facilitating it and I had a lot in common. And by the way, when you end up in a competitive situation, it's the people who have a lot in common with you where you end up in rivalries, not the people who are very different with you. Mm -hmm. So he was also a PhD organizational psychologist and an academic and also did strategy retreats and did, you know, communications training, all the stuff that I do. And so we walked up to each other and we said, hello. And he's, and he said, "Where's your PhD from?" And I said, "Oh, it's from here." And I said, "It was so and so." And he said, "Well, I'm from here," and it's and it was so and so. And then we, oh. pretty soon we were absolutely, you know, swinging our dicks at each other. And his wife had to come in and say, "Look, like every, okay, kids, play nice," you know, because one of the hallmarks of competitiveness is that it escalates until somebody figures out how not to do that because
2: it's very contagious, you know. <laughs> <laughs> So if you're listening, you probably don't want to do that upon meeting somebody at any rate. Yeah, moment.
1: I'd say that don't don't be like me, but but notice because it is so competitive. I mean, it's so contagious. You have to notice what you're doing and we both so so we noticed we laughed and we fixed it later, you know? And that was and that was fine. So we could be so we could be with each other in a normal way and not get into this weird thing. Um but if you're more of a feminine identified person, it's often It takes this sort of weird turn sometimes where it can be overly uh, complimentary, like, oh, that's such a beautiful dress. (laughs) Mm, (laughs) Where'd you get it? Where'd you get it? (laughs) Oh, yeah. And it can sometimes there can be little barbs in there, or basically it can just feel like somebody's focusing on you and like tracking you a little bit more than seems healthy, you know? So it's more like, it's like a mean girls
2: kind of thing. Why are you so obsessed with me? (laughs) Mm, my favorite amongst like the feminine energy is the bless your heart. After that, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> bless your heart. It's like that's not a compliment.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. So if you so basically sort of gushing text with barbs and subtext is definitely how that would come out. You know, when when I was skating, the you you know the, the guys on the line would all be as they were lining up to. Race would be like I'm going to kick your butt. I'm going to kick your ass so bad. I'm going to eat. My, you're going to eat my dust. Blah blah blah. The girls would be like, "Hello, oh gosh, I hope I can keep up with you today." <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. And, and you know the thing is that if you find yourself, a lot of times it's not very comfortable for women to get in rivalries with each other. Um, And it does draw focus being, you know, my little dick measuring contest drew drew focus. And so if I were doing that in a a feminine style, that would also draw focus from the group and that's not helpful. So sometimes you may wish to tone it down. And so I have uh, a couple of little exercises for
2: getting people out of their uh, competitive and rivalrous state. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I'm curious, like, oh, what is, if you could give people one thing just one, because we want them to go and buy the book and <laughs> one more. <laughs> what would that one thing that you would say would be uh, that they could do to like be able to kind of keep their sanity when they realize someone's competing with them?
1: <laughs> when well, somebody's competing with you, um, so I found if, if in a feminine, feminine identified situation, I found the best thing what's worked for me is just to absolutely kill them with kindness. So be being when people are or I and I'm thinking about for example my first year skating when I showed up on the on the pro scene and of course nobody's ever happy to see a new female pro skater. So you have there's there's always a certain amount of that like like when you're not a threat it's all you go girl and then as soon as you're a threat then it's like oh well that bitch, right? Yeah. So, to remember that you're not always going to be welcome and it's contextual and it's not you, you know. Mm-hmm. And then when somebody's trying to compete with you, basically, I have found that the staying with the text of kindness, oh, you're so sweet, thank you, can be really annoying to the people who are trying to make you hear that little barb in what they're saying. <laughs> <laughs> And so just kind of keep affirming sweetness and light, I found has, is both very annoying for the people who want to take you down a little bit and will also preserve your own sanity and also, you know, burn, help your, if well, it can't do anything except really help your reputation if you're not biting on this.
2: I love that. And it's so much bigger than just like an individual person that can apply to like a competitive environment, a competitive workplace. Yeah. Social media in general
1: <laughs> oh yeah absolutely if you're if you're getting sh- shunned and you think it's because they people see you as a threat then then that can fuel your fire in a really perverse way <laughs> <is probably> nice. <laughs> and the thing is you do that, and once once I have found that once people get used to your existence, then they suddenly you're one of us again, you know, my first year skating, everybody was like get out of here, we're going to try to make you get out of here socially. And the second year, everybody's like, Hey, Kim, nice to see you. (laughs) So, so so if you can hang on through the hazing, it works out pretty well. And if you're in a masculine identified area, then you have more freedom to play with it. You know, you have more freedom to trash talk back.
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I thought it'd be cool to do Um, Just like a quick lightning round wrap up before I let you get back to your day. (laughs) So quick answers on these quick questions. What about the future are you most excited about?
1: Oh, you know, the next book that I'm working on (laughs) is about what would happen if to our systems if we actually centered the human lifespan and made the body as the one thing that we all share the center of what we're trying to do as opposed to making like profit-making systems, for example. Mm. You know, what would happen if we really focused on on making the human lifespan as awesome as possible? Not just as long, but for everybody.
2: Uh, um, that's such a powerful like area to be going into. So I totally want you to keep in touch (laughs) once it's ready. I'd love to have you back on the podcast about that. Thank you. I'd love to talk more about that. Okay. What's one thing you'd want someone to know about you as the human behind Mm, the PhD? What a great question that I
1: really struggle with everything that I talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Really? You sound so confident. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah, it's all you know it's always easy when you're telling other people what they ought to do. It's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. everybody should be less competitive except for me. I think it's okay for me, you know <laughs> but it's um i i the there's kind of a joke for researchers is that you know all all academic research is also me search, and so I feel like the stuff that I'm really drawn to working on is always really tough stuff and And a little taboo, and it's all stuff I'm working out for myself. But I really do read all the academic articles and take all of this into account. So I try to come to a really um, reasonable conclusion and not just um, the first thing that comes to mind. (laughs) So I've given this all a lot of thought, but it's still trouble putting it into practice. So I struggle with it too.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate you being transparent and honest about that because I think so much um, we look to leaders and speakers and authors and business owners, and especially like psychologists, right? As uh, looking to them as modeling the example of where we want to go. And there's so many examples out there that are leading from a place of, I've got it all figured out. I know everything and I'm the authority. So I'm going to tell you what to do. And I think it is something so so important to see more people like you saying you know i still work on certain things too i'm human
1: <laughs> i appreciate that and and really that the the what you talk about on this podcast so much about your own feelings and authenticity and bringing your whole self in there it's so important i don't think that anybody has the opportunity to go just phone it in and keep themselves separate these days and actually meet with the kind of success they want.
2: Agreed. Agreed. So with that said, I um, would love if you could share with us on the final question, what is the number one thing that helps you flaunt your fire and show up and be visible as your full self?
1: It helps me or that helps a person?
2: That helps you. That
1: <laughs> helps me. Okay. That this person. Okay. <laughs> that helps me be myself. You know, I this is going to sound peculiar, but it's really, there's so much about like, like I love this podcast and I feel like this podcast really goes out of its way to give people permission to be authentic and be who they are and talk about the things that are not, um, you know, picture perfect or the way one would hope they uh, could be, you know, and I, I did a talk many years ago about authenticity and from kind of a social side. It was an academic talk. But it was, there was a lot of research. We talk about how authenticity comes from within, but authenticity is also something that we give others the opportunity to have by being nonjudgmental and by going first and being vulnerable and allowing Mm. people to see us means that it's okay for um, them to see, you know, for everybody to see each other. And so that's something that I'm really grateful for and that's what comes to mind here.
2: So powerful. Uh, thank you for sharing that. I think that a lot of people listening are going to be able to relate to how they can give that opportunity a little bit more in their lives as well. <sighs> so if someone's listening and they're like, Hey, I'm super intrigued. Can you tell them more about your book?
1: Yes. It's called winner take none. And it's, uh, it has, is about Uh, half about the personal experiences in competition and thinking about competition and why we love it and hate it and how it pervades everything that we do. Not that we have to buy into it all, but that it goes so much into our stories. And so that's kind of half of it. And the other half of it is how people manage it in groups and how to keep your workplaces from becoming toxic cesspools of competition and some lessons from some of the grand challenges where they handle competition really nicely like you know spacex not spacex uh the x prize and various x prize like uh competitions where there's a lot of really great social rule setting or they're technically competitions but they have a really nice way of getting everybody to play nice and support each other as opposed to being toxic uh areas And so there's, and there's a lot of ways that you can take games that are already being played and turn them into what I call meta games, which are more fun versions where it's not about winning and losing.
2: I love it. And I also know that some of our listeners have their own online communities. Um, They host events and things like that. So could you tell us uh, like the website that they can find you at if they're interested in having you come and speak to their people?
1: Yes, I love giving talks. And I've given a lot of keynotes. And I also do workshops on communication for teams. And we are, you can find me at kimperkins.com.
2: Thank you so much for being with us today, Kim.
1: It's been a great pleasure and an honor. Thank you.
2: I so enjoy talking to passionate and positive individuals like Kim Perkins. And I'm sure you enjoyed this episode too. So if you'd like to hear more from Kim, I'm gonna encourage you to head on over and open up your podcast app that you're currently listening from and do a quick search for Pause on the Play make sure you give it a follow and stay tuned because this week you'll be hearing from Kim over there on our main podcast. And Kim and Erica Corday are going to be discussing positive psychology within creating the change that you want to see in your life and in your work and how that can play into so many different areas and examples of what that can look like. So such an exciting episode. Also, make sure you stay tuned here at the Font Your Fire podcast because on our next episode, I'm going to be talking with Ashley Gartland and we're going to be talking about a way to reduce some of the overwhelm in your work and in your business by actually simplifying and taking a a subtractive approach to your service offerings, as well as your day-to-day activities. So, so exciting because I know this time of year, many people are looking at reevaluating what they're doing and what might be able to actually be deleted off the list completely. So stay tuned for that. And one of the ways that you can be notified of the next episode is again, while you're in your podcast app, make sure you hit follow so you can follow the Font Your Fire podcast. And until the next episode, keep flaunting your fire. This episode is brought to you by Pause in the Play. You can learn more about its community, workshops, and podcasts by visiting pawsontheplay.com. The Flaunt Your Fire podcast is recorded on the stolen land of my brother's ancestors, the Piscataway people. This land is known by many as the capital of the United States, Washington, D.C., and its surrounding area.